You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Good morning, Faith Church. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Logan. I'm the student director here. Um, And I get the privilege to be able to continue in this Revelation series. So we're going to be in Revelation, going through a little bit, 14, 15, and 16, Um, But we're going to look at uh, Revelation 15 right now. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can turn with me to Revelation 15. Um, And as we do each week, because this is God's word to us, out of reverence and respect, we stand for the reading of God's word. So would you stand for the reading of God's word? After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, until this series, I have actually never really spent much time in Revelation. So this has been an awesome series, and I hope it's been an awesome series for you as well, because now that we see, we understand the genre and understand the symbols and everything that's going on in Revelation, we can read it and study in our own time to better understand God. And isn't it so cool how God works, even through Jesus he works in parables, different stories so that we can, he can help us use our imaginations and picture and relate to these things that we can understand so that we can better understand Jesus. Now, we're kind of going to jump right in, okay? So there's no, you know, testing the waters and no seeing if it's clean or dirty. We're just getting right in, right into the deep end because we're going to start with this picture. Look at this. Raise your hand if you've seen this picture on a billboard. Okay, a majority of people. So this is kind of interesting, and I'm not going to get into my personal opinions about these billboards, but it is interesting if you think about it. And as we've been looking through this series of revelation, we've been seeing this, this role of judgment come on the earth and this role of a mighty ruler, God, who is going to judge justly. We're going to look at this idea of redeemed and the judged. And I see this, and I wonder how many people even pay attention to these billboards. And first off, I don't know who's going to call 855 for truth. Who's going to answer on the other line? I hope it's Jesus. But that's kind of interesting because, I don't know, really really bizarre. But this is kind of where we're going to be heading and, and what I want us to think about is as we walk with God, or we're just coming into church every Sunday or Wednesday or whenever we can make it and just being a part of the church but not actually being in relationship with Jesus or are we living out a life for Jesus? And that's what I want us to think about today. I would even go as far to say that there's probably at least one or maybe a few in this room who have not fully given their life to Jesus. And this is church. This is where Christians gather, right? But I would say that there may be some that have yet to fully devote their life to Jesus. And that's what we're going to wrestle with today. So to begin, 
we're going to look in chapter 14. We're going to be mainly going through 15 and 16, but we're going to kind of glimpse through 14 so we can better understand what's happening. So in the beginning, there's three sections as we go through 14. And the first is the lamb and the 144,000. And as Dylan stated previously, the 144,000 is a symbol of the entirety of Christians, the, the entirety of those faithful believers. And the lamb, of course, is Jesus. And what we see is that this 144,000 are marked with that of the lamb on their forehead. They are marked with being with Jesus, and they are praising and singing a new song that only the 144,000 know. And they're singing and worshiping God. And then it moves on to this imagery of three angels and this is a little interesting. And it's kind of cool at the same time because in last week, I, don't, I watched a lot of it online, but I don't know if Dylan touched on this specific verse, but it talks about how the beast talked to all the people in all the language, tribes, tongues. And then we see this first angel in 14. He speaks to every nation and tribe and language and people. So we have these lies that the beast is trying to tell everyone of every language, nation, tribe, tongue. He's trying to deceive them and tell them lies. And now we see this angel who's trying to speak truth. And this first angel says this, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. What we're seeing here is this angel is speaking truth, telling them of this just God that need to fear God and give him glory. And then this second angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And now, this idea of Babylon is going to be really crucial and it's going to kind of wrap in a lot today because as we read through Revelation, we're going to tie it back in to the Old Testament. And we're going to see how these are depictions of things we've seen before to help us relate and understand these symbols in, the, in Revelation. And what we see here is this second angel saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now Babylon was understood to be a city that just had nothing to do with God. Complete, utter disobedience and just rejection of God. And because of this, they were known and depicted as just this great nation that didn't want anything to do. And they were just sinful and they just were apart, set apart from God and just were living a life full of self. And this is a symbol, and we're going to look at this today, that, that Babylon is relating to, to that group of unbelievers. The group of unbelievers who, who worship the beast, who live with the beast, who, who live their life pleasing themselves. And that's what this picture of Babylon is representing. And then we have the third angel. And the third angel says, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath. And he goes on to say some more, but what he's getting at, this third angel is saying that if those are, who are in Babylon, who have the mark of the beast, fall and fall on his Babylon. They too will fall with Babylon. And I want to read in 14, verse 12. It says, Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And then in the NIV it says this, 
This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep the commands and remain faithful to Jesus. As Christians, we are called to patiently endure, to take on this suffering, and to patiently live out this Christian life, enduring suffering, knowing that there's going to be suffering that comes, but in that suffering, we are called to have faith, to hold strong, to stand firm in what God has taught us, and stand firm that we are saved through Jesus, that we are the 144,000 with the Lamb. We are to patiently endure in this world. And then 14 goes on to this next section of the harvesting of earth. And what we're seeing here is, is this setup of this idea that God will judge justly. And this first depiction is that there's two angelic beings, kind of like the Son of Man. They're sitting on these clouds, and they have these sharp sickles. And the first one is swinging his sharp sickle down, and he's harvesting the earth of all the Christians. He's gathering up all the Christians, that 144,000, to be with the Lamb. And then we have this second angelic being who's on the cloud who has another sharp sickle, who swings his sickle down and gathers what the Bible says, all the grapes, and throws all the grapes into the winepress of God's wrath. Now, what are these grapes? These grapes are a representation of those who are in Babylon, those who have the mark of the beast, those who turn away from God will be judged and will experience God's wrath. So I've entitled this series, and we'll get into the meaning of this in a little bit, but I've entitled this series, Armageddon Has Arrived. And we'll see that Armageddon is, is this final battle between good and evil, and that's what we're looking at today, is this, this battle of good and evil, and God coming down to fulfill his judgment. And as we know, as we've learned this whole series, that, that from the time Jesus died and rose on the cross to the time he returns, these are the last days. We are living in the last days. So we need to be ready and we need to be prepared because when the angel swings down a sickle, are we going to be gathered up with the Christians or are we going to be like that of the grapes who are thrown into the winepress of God's wrath? What will we experience? So I have three things that I believe that God reveals to us and that he will carry out in these chapters we're going through. So the first one was basically an overview of 15, and it's God will prepare judgment. This is basically what 15, chapter 15 is showing us. It's showing us that God is going to prepare judgment for those who will be judged. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And what's interesting here is that these seven plagues aren't just chronologically last. They're not actually the third and the final plague. It's not the end. These plagues are going on now. And as we've seen, these seven plagues, as we'll get into a little bit, are the seven bowls. And first, we have the seven seals, which is what the church is living through. And then we have the seven trumpets, which was the perspective of the unbeliever. And now these bowls is from the perspective of the throne room, almost the perspective of God. And this is what we're seeing. 
And that's what he's saying is that these plagues, when they're finished, God's wrath will be done. It will be complete. And it says, and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And if you've been here with this series, you've probably heard this back in the beginning of Dylan's gone through it a lot, but sea represents chaos in the Old Testament, and fire represents God's holy judgment. And now we see that we have this sea of glass with fire, chaos with God's judgment. So we can rest assured that the world that's full of chaos is under God's holy judgment. And then it goes on to say, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And we'll skip a couple of verses, but the verses talk about, and then they worship God with a song of Moses. And then it goes on and say, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. And now we're going to start to see this resemblance between Revelation and that of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had either the tent or the temple. And only the high priest could enter in to the presence of God. And only on a certain day. He couldn't just go in wherever he felt like it. It had to be on a certain day. And what we're seeing here is two things. The sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb, has opened the tent so that we can be in relationship with God our Father. We can be in his presence without having to be in the tent, without having to go through the high priest. We ourselves can be in the presence of God because this tent is open. But also it's open because we're about to see what's going to come out, what's going to happen. The throne room is open and God is about to take action. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. Now, this imagery of what they're wearing depicts that they are heavenly beings, and they are worthy of being in God's presence, and they are worthy of taking out action on God's behalf. That is what this pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chest represents, that they are worthy of taking out and obeying what God is fulfilling through them. And one of the four living creatures, which we've seen in the previous verses, we don't know which one, it doesn't say, but one of these four creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So now we're seeing that these seven angels who have seven plagues receive these seven bowls of God's wrath. And these golden bowls are also a representation of, in the Old Testament, they were a part of the temple or of the tent. There's these instructions all through the Old Testament of, of what, it, what the tent is supposed to be specific, how it's supposed to be built, what's supposed to be included, and these golden bowls are a part of this holiness of this temple. And now these golden bowls are the holiness of God's wrath. So now you have these seven plagues mixed with God's holy wrath. And the end of Chapter 15, it says, Then the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Smoke also is kind of an image we see in the Old Testament. What we're seeing here is that those, the tent that once was open is now being covered, 
and no one can enter, not even the heavenly beings, because God is about to fulfill his judgment. And what this is depicting is that no one, not us, not the angels of heaven, no one can hold back the hand of God from his righteous judgment, from his wrath. No one can stop him. He is creating this smoke. Sanctuary is filled with smoke. No one can enter. He is creating a barrier so that he can fulfill his judgment and no one or nothing can stop him. This is also important to understand because maybe when the time comes where we're breathing our last breath and and then we think, man, I hope we can have a second chance. Nothing, especially on us, can convince God. Wait, before you pour out your judgment, let me just convince you of, but look at these things I've done in my life. But I've been living this way, so, so maybe we can rethink this a little bit. We can't counter that. No one can stop the righteous judgment of God. So let's get into 16. Let's get into what these plagues are, which leads us to my second point. God will judge justly. All throughout these seven plagues, understand that this is not God just pouring out his wrath just for fun or because he can or has the power to. This is God pouring out his wrath on those who are meant to be judged because of their disobedience towards God. If he is a perfect, loving God, but does not judge, then he cannot be God. He has to judge because of his love for humanity and because of his hatred towards sin and disobedience. If he didn't judge, he would not be a perfect God. So let's keep this in mind that he judges justly. There is reason. It's not just him carrying out and showing out his power or destroying things just because he can, but it's because of his character and who he is. Verse 1, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple. This loud voice, this is God speaking. And he said, Telling the seven angels, Go and pour out this earth, go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So we have these angelic beings, right, that are clothed in this bright linen and golden sashes, but it's important to understand that these beings aren't the ones carrying out judgment. Ultimately, it is God who is carrying out this judgment. But God allows and gives power to these angelic beings to pour out these bowls. And the first one, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. All of these plagues can be related to or looking back at Exodus and the plagues of Egypt to release the Israelites. But they don't go in the exact order, but they do correlate. And I'm not going to go through every single one, but I will go through specific ones that matter and and can help us understand a little better. But this first one, it's pretty easy to understand that there's painful sores. There's physical agony for those who disobey God. That there will be suffering for those who disobey God. And, And that's depicted in this imagery of harmful and painful sores that came among the people when God poured his wrath on the earth. The second bowl is poured out into the sea. And it became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Now, 
The second bowl is poured out into the sea. The third one's poured out into the fresh water in the springs. But it's important to understand that Babylon in its time was very wealthy. It was high class. They were very well known. They were a ruling nation. And because of several reasons, part of them was their ports that they could bring things in and out of and their fresh water and their fishing. That's where they got a lot of their resources because during this time and age, they didn't have all these machines or the industrial revolution to do all these things. It was, they were fishing. They were going through boats and they were doing all these different things. But now this water has been polluted. So now their economic status is starting to drop because they do not have these resources that they once had. They cannot travel like they once did. They cannot gather up fish like they once did. They cannot have fresh water like they once did. All their resources are diminishing. And we see that through this judgment, God is depicting imagery of him slowly tearing apart this city of Babylon, making it fall and crumble from within. If he pulls away their resources, then their economic, economic status drops, their resources drop. Who they become, who they are focused on can no longer be their priority because now they're struggling to figure out who are we. The people are enduring agony. Now there's no resources. The city of Babylon is starting to fall. And that is what's happening throughout all these seven bowls. And then, and I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you. O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I'm going to repeat it again. Don't forget this. It's even emphasized here again so that we can remember, just are his judgments. They have reason for taking place. It doesn't just occur because of his power. It's because they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and now it's in turn their time for judgment. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl in the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. This is one that we see all the time. Or at least I've heard it a lot of where, oh, well, God once flooded the earth and now there's a rainbow because he's never going to flood the earth again, but there's fire coming. The sun's going to burn us all. And remember, this is apocalyptic literature. This is symbolism. We are not, those who are judged will not burn. But it's imagery of fire. Remember, fire in the Old Testament is a depiction of judgment. And I want to read a passage from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7.20 says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. We see that there's this depiction, even in the Old Testament, of fire being poured out in place of God's judgment, representing God's judgment. And it will be poured out and it will not be quenched. There's that smoke covering. No one can enter the temple and God is fulfilling his judgment. It cannot be quenched. Meaning that where God's judgment takes place, it cannot be reversed. It cannot be changed. That he will fulfill his judgment. And those will, those people 
who are in the city of Babylon will experience judgment and will experience God's wrath. That is pointed out here. So the sun is representing this fire that is poured out on people and representing God's judgment on those who have disobeyed and who have turned from God. And I want to go back to one more thing. They did not repent and give him glory. That's the big thing. They did not repent and give him glory. They chose to live the life they were living because they did not want to repent. They wanted to live for self and not for God. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. We see it again. Because they did not repent, because they chose to follow who they wanted to follow and live how they wanted to live, they are experiencing this judgment. So God judges justly. So this fifth angel is pouring out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Now, this is in reference to the ninth plague in Exodus. And it says this. It says that the darkness in Egypt was so dark that no one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Now, I kind of panic just thinking about that in complete darkness. For three days, you just don't move about because you don't know where you're going and what you're doing. And what's happening is that there is darkness and there is this understanding that the light will not be there. And what this means is that the kingdom was plunged into darkness. The beast and his kingdom, Babylon, is plunged into darkness. And those who are in the darkness will realize that they are eternally separated from God. And that darkness is what brings this anguish. People nod their tongues in anguish and curse the God of heaven for their pain. They're in agony because they understand they are now in darkness and they are separated from the light of God. That they do not have an opportunity to be in the presence of God anymore. They are separated, set apart, put into darkness. And just like Dylan talked about last week, the beast is falling. The beast has not won. Jesus has conquered sin and death. But yet, the beast, as his kingdom is plunged into darkness, will try and take as many others down with him as he can. Because he already knows he's fallen. He already knows his kingdom's being plunged into darkness. He knows he's separated from God. But he's going to try and gather as many as he can down with him. And these last two bowls, they're kind of tying together the final judgment. The sixth bowl is probably one of the most complex bowls in these seven plagues. It says, the sixth angel poured out the bowl, out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, there is a lot of different interpretations on who the kings from the east are. And I would say that this doesn't really necessarily matter too much, but let's dig into it a little bit. What does it mean that the Euphrates was dried up? Well, in the Old Testament, we see that Cyrus is going to attack Babylon 
And in order to do so, they had to find a way to part the Euphrates just enough so that they could cross over. And those in Babylon at the time knew that there was probably nothing that could come east of the Euphrates. They always worried a little bit that there may be something or they didn't know what was out there, but they knew that they didn't have to fear because no one could cross the Euphrates until the sea was parted and Cyrus leads an army into Babylon and defeats Babylon. This is a depiction of God opens up the Euphrates. And we know that it has something to do with God coming from the east because here's some passages throughout the Bible. Matthew 24, 27 says, Jesus' second coming will be from the east. For as the light cometh out of the east and shine even into the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man. Ezekiel 43, 2, God's glory comes from the east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. Revelation 7, 2, Revelation's sealing angel comes from the east, and I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Malachi 4, 2, the sun symbolizes Jesus rising in the east. Now, we don't know exactly who these kings from the east are, but we do know that they were sent from God. That God has dried up the Euphrates so that these kings that God's sending from the east will come to conquer Babylon that the final judgment is coming. Judgment on Babylon, those who turn away from God, the beast is coming to an end. Final judgment is coming. And then it goes on to say, and I saw it coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirit like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So now we got this crazy thing going on. We got these demonic frogs, or demonic spirits that resemble that of frogs. And what's happening is that they are going and they are deceiving all the kings of the world Gathering, gathering them all up in one place, which we see is called Armageddon. He's gathering them all together so that when God parts the Euphrates, the kings of the east that God sends will be able to come and pour out judgment on everyone at one time because they're gathering them all up at Armageddon. And remember what I said in the very beginning, Armageddon is reference to the last battle between good and evil. But also the Greek translation of the Hebrew Armageddon is Armageddon, which means the mountain of Megiddo. And this is kind of interesting because the mountain of Megiddo is actually a real place. And on this mountain of Megiddo, Babylon defeated the city of Judah. So once where Babylon ruled, now will be where they fall. God is playing the eternal game of Uno and he's using his reverse card. It's what only God can do because we see it all the time. God takes bad things, suffering, destruction, turns it around for our good in ways that we can never imagine in the same way where Babylon once ruled, now they will be ruled. 
because God is parting the Euphrates, opening away from the kings from the east to come where he has gathered all the kings of the world to be judged. Then we have the seventh bowl. The angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Just like in verse 15, this is the last, this is the completion of God's wrath. The voice from the temple, God is saying, it is done. And there was flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. We're seeing God's mightiness through this right now. What's happening is that there's such an earthquake that there are never, such as there had never been since man was on the earth, so great was the earthquake. There's an earthquake like we have never seen. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. What's going on here is now, in the very beginning, he's pulling away, the people are in agony, and he's tearing away their resources, pulling down the walls and economic status of Babylon, and then those are suffering from his judgment. And then they're being plunged into darkness, separated from God, and now God is gathering together for the final battle of good and evil, and now we're seeing that Babylon is crumbling. This earthquake is so large, so impactful, that it destroys the ground on which Babylon stands, splits it into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon is being defeated. It is being torn apart so that God can bring about his judgment on those who disobey and turn away from him. At the end of this passage, it says, and every island fled away. Not only did Babylon crumble, but now they're fleeing, they're separating. Now Babylon is no more. And no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they became cursed. And they cursed God for the plague of hell because the plague was so severe. Now what we see here is these are great hailstones from heaven. This is God pouring out his wrath from heaven. That's what this imagery is depicting. That this is God's wrath coming down from heaven. It is God who is carrying out this judgment. It is God that is doing it justly. And there's two ways, I feel like, in which we can look at these plagues and look at these passages and, and see, okay, well, God's got all this wrath and he's taking it out on humanity, but sometimes I feel like we fail to look at fallen humanity. Because of fallen humanity and those who turn away from God, God has to bring judgment. We read these verses and we think, man, God is just really just pouring out his wrath and it almost seems ungodly. How can God do that? But how can humanity turn from God? It's not just God acting in judgment in these passages, it is also humanity denying God and saying that he's not good enough and that they want to live their own way. And I feel like this is the last thing that God reveals to us through these passages. And something that I've been wrestling with, I thought maybe I should do this, maybe I shouldn't, but I feel like God 
really wanted me to speak through this. That God provides us with a choice. We see that we have redemption or we have judgment. We can be a part of the 144,000 that are with the lamb, marked with the lamb, or we can be marked with the beast and be a part of Babylon, which we know will be torn apart and will be separated, thrown into darkness, and will be defeated. And the reason I bring this up, like I said in the very beginning, I believe that someone in here has not fully devoted their life to Christ. Because just because you live the right ways, or you go to church, or do all these things, or volunteer, that doesn't make you a Christian. I want you to hear this. Just because you come to church, I heard this analogy, and, and I, it stuck with me, and this is why I'm saying it. Just because you go to church and sit in these chairs doesn't make you any more a car if you sit in your garage. If you go sit in your garage and think, okay, just by being here, I'm going to turn to a car. It's the same thing as you sit in these pews and think, man, just by sitting here and being in church, I'm going to be a Christian. Of course, as a Christian, we need to be in church. We need to be a part of church. But being in church doesn't make us a Christian. I want us to really reflect on this in our own personal walk with God. Are we going to choose redemption and being with Christ or are we going to choose judgment? Because remember, God judges those justly who chose to deny him. And you don't want to get to that day where you're breathing your last breath thinking, man, actually I want to change my mind. Well, I think this scripture is written to show us the just judgment of God so that we can change our mind now. Because remember, we are in the last days. Death is a part of judgment for fallen humanity. Death is a result of the fall. And so, kind of like that billboard, where are you going to go? Because are we going to be redeemed or are we going to be experiencing the wrath of God? Are we going to be gathered up with 144,000 or are we going to be gathered up and thrown into the wine press of God's wrath? Which will you choose? Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is a very complex passage. And Lord, I thank you that you give us insight into the judgment you give those who deny you. Because sometimes, like the Israelites who need a true awakening, who need to visualize these plagues and understand these plagues, to understand your wrath, Lord, I feel like we sometimes need the same thing. A wake-up call, a reminder that we are fighting a spiritual battle. And Lord, that there is a spiritual enemy coming after us, Lord, and if we are not trying to fight this battle, then surely we will not win. But Lord, you, through your son Jesus, have already conquered death. You've already conquered sin. And Lord, I pray that we can lean on you. 
that we can be a part of the 144,000 that are redeemed with the Lamb and not be a part of Babylon where the angel says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Lord, I pray that if anyone is just putting up a wall saying, I don't want to hear this. Lord, I still want to deny you. Lord, I pray that you tear down that wall. Lord, I pray that we can be people who seek to glorify you, Lord, that we can be people who are redeemed. Lord, I pray that no one in here will have to experience your wrath. Lord, but I pray that we can be a family of believers who can be gathered up together to sit with you, Lord Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.